I know you're not a masochist, man. But it does give you character. You're a real funny guy, Rico. <laughs> I just hope to hell it was worth it. 18 months just to get a bug in this dude's car. By the time we bust him, we'll be looking at retirement. Rivers is a heavy player. Gotta make a mistake sometime. Turn that up. Okay, boys, all you gotta do is complete the circuit. First one back to the bus, which is right. Oh, good. Switek. Now, he's supposed to be sick. Free Miami Vice! Rocket, Tubbs, Castillo, Gina and Trudy, Zito and Switek. Together, they are the OCB. They are Miami Vice. And this is the Vice of Miami podcast. Do you remember the fast cars, flashy clothes, big money, and all of the heavy players on the 1980s most iconic TV show, Miami Vice? Then this is the podcast for you. Join Mark and Tim as we review each season and episode covering all of the details such as a storyline, stars, music, fun facts and locations, and as well as trivia in which you can participate. Get ready for the Vice of Miami podcast. Welcome back, Vice fans, to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 36. Tim and I are always glad that you're joining us. We hope you enjoyed our last show covering Back in the World. So as always, sit back, relax, grab a beverage or two, because this is going to be a very special show. It's going to be a little bit longer. Our content at the beginning is going to be cut short, but we have an interview with Paul Diamond, the writer of this episode, after our discussion. So grab two beverages and enjoy this Vice of Miami podcast covering Season 2, Episode 11, Fill the Shill. And Mark, as you said, this episode was written by Paul Diamond, directed by John Nicolella. The original air date was December 13th, 1985, and it is the 33rd episode overall in the series. And our plot summary real quick. A British television personality who has dealings with a major cocaine dealer is targeted by Crockett and Tubbs, only after irking Switek more than slightly. And Mark, we're just going to cover... Really one guest star, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul. So our major guest star in this episode is Philip David Charles Phil Collins, born January 30th, 1951. He's a British singer, songwriter, drummer, and actor who appeared in the show Miami Vice as Phil Mayhew. He was born in Chiswick, London, England. He began playing the drums at age five when he received a toy drum set for Christmas. He also learned acting at the Barbara Speak Stage School, performing the play Oliver. He appeared in the Beatles movie A Hard Day's Night. He began his music career with the group Flaming Youth in 1969, releasing an album that did poorly, and the group broke up a year later. Collins then auditioned for a drummer opening in another band, Genesis, which he won. Peter Gabriel was the lead vocalist at that time, so college was primarily a song backup person. After Gabriel left Genesis in 1975 for a solo career, Collins became the lead singer and the band began having success in America, reaching the top 40 with Misunderstanding 
1980. Collins recorded his first solo album, Face Value, in 1981, with many of the songs focusing on his divorce from Andrea Bertorelli and the pain he suffered from it. The album had two Billboard Top 40 singles, I Missed Again and In the Air Tonight. Besides his roles in Vice and Buster, Collins also appeared in the movies Hook, Frauds, and as a voice actor in The Jungle Book 2. Collins has been married several times, and we recently discussed his most recent marital escapade in our Miami Vice in the News segment a couple of podcasts ago. And we're going to actually cover the writer, Paul Diamond. He was the writer for Miami Vice episodes Evan, and this episode, Phil the Shill. And like we said, Paul's our special guest on this episode, and we were honored to discuss pretty much with him all things Miami Vice, Phil the Shill, and Hollywood in general. Paul Diamond is known for Houston Nights in 1987, Knight Rider in 1982, and obviously Miami Vice here. Uh, he's the only freelance writer with episodes on both season one and season two. Also the only writer with credits on both Miami Vice and Married with Children. In addition to Miami Vice, other writing credits include The Chicken Chronicles in 1977 with Ed Lauder, Brothers and Sisters in 1979, a TV show, The Bad News Bears TV show in 1979, Mike Hammer, another TV show in 84, Knight Rider in 1985, Still the Beaver, a TV show in 1986, Married with Children in 1990, and Friends and Heroes, 2007 through 2008. Paul is the son of I.A.L. Diamond, also a writer and a producer, and Barbara Diamond. And again, we'll have more from Paul later in this podcast. And now we're going to really quickly go over the trivia portion of this episode before we start a discussion. Last episode, we asked, Sonny tells Tubbs how Captain Real Estate got his name. How did he end up with this moniker? Well, pretty much every area in Vietnam that he was interested in became a hot zone. And thanks to Tom G for answering that. For this episode, we have, what's the name of the Phil Collins song written for his game show and more specifically for this episode as it did not appear in any of his albums? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at MiamiVice at Duck.com. All right, we've reached the discussion portion of the episode. And again, we're going to go over this um, kind of swiftly so we could get into our interview with Paul. It's It goes, I think, about 20 minutes. So again, we're going to kind of briefly run down this episode here. We don't want to uh, cut Paul short in his writing work. So let's get right into it. We open up with uh, a game show on TV where uh, Switek and Zito, they've called in sick from work. So Switek can appear on the game show called Rat Race with the game show host, Phil Mayhew, played by Phil Collins. And the purse is $100,000. During this time, they're cutting away. Crockett and Tubbs do the duties that Zeno and Switek typically do. They're planting a bug in a drug dealer's car, this drug dealer being Tony Rivers. So as they go about doing this, Crockett raises the ire of the bodyguard driving the car, claiming he scratched his spider. The bodyguard pretty much lays a smack down on Crockett while Tubbs sneaks in and attaches the bug inside. 
while Crockett is licking his wounds inside of a club somewhere that they were at, he and Tubbs see Zito and Switek on TV. Well, here we go. It turns out that Zito and Switek called in slick, not sick. You could tell Crockett was kind of like a little bit miffed. Especially uh, with a fat lip. It turns out that the game show here is rigged, and Switek loses to a plant called Joe, played by Emo Phillips. After the show, Phil informs Switek that the show is canceled and he won't be returning. Uh, turns out that Phil uses Joe to get the money for himself and a $20,000 share to Joe that he also ends up uh, eventually keeping for himself. Tim, this next one, you're going to remember this place that we highlight here. What we find out here is that uh, Tony Rivers arrives at a familiar hangar and he is angry about two of his guys who caused him to miss a vital drug connection and now he's got to find a new source. As he drove in there, these guys were hanging upside down by their feet from the ceiling. Rivers has his body car just off him. Dancing tonight. I thought you want to go to movies. After the movies. Hey, senor Lima. Two times we waited for that plane. No. Two times yeah. we had a shipment goes to somebody else. Yeah, no, 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 so I want to get myself a new source. remember this one i'm sure everyone else does this was the same hangar that was highlighted in evan where he had the mannequins all set up where uh he shot him yes. with guns must be a theme with paul here huh <laughs> yes it is that's what i think i digressed him so crack and tubs now that they have they have this bug planted on there they have a they they show up at the scene of this homicide of these two guys and they're they have a 90 percent positive make that it's rivers mercedes in the area at the time of the killings, because again, Crockett took that couple belts to the mouth to get this bug planted. Then we go to it switches quickly to uh, the OCB after overhearing Switek's rant on losing on Phil's show. Castillo he comes in classic stare and decides to put the Zito and Switek on double shifts to observe Rivers, and they were both you're both docked the day's pay. Because they were faking illness beyond the game show. And then, and then Crocker walks by. You, you got away. You're, you basically got lucky that he uh, didn't fire you, is what he was. Uh, I, I, I think say, he said you got off light. Yeah, something like you got off light. So Switek becomes obsessed with bringing down Phil. Crockett tells Castillo that the car wire shows Rivers is expanding his business, moving keys to doctors, stockbrokers, et cetera, using his girlfriend as a broker, but he supervises the actual delivery of said product. And now we move along to an apartment. Well, we're guessing this is probably Phil's apartment. Joe, who was the plant on the game show, questions Phil why his take is so small. Phil lets him know that it was his idea, and he quickly escorts Joe out of his apartment. It was a quick scene here. Uh, Phil takes his money, and then... We have a montage of him proceeding to buy a Lamborghini, a car phone, which was basically the size of five bricks put together way back in the day, if you remember. Mm -hmm. He also bought a house, a nice house. 
uh, telescope, shoes, some new clothes, and watches. And while Phil was per, uh, perusing some watches in the jewelry store, he eyes uh, River's girlfriend, Sarah McPhail. She's uh, looking at a pearl necklace. So he sides up to her and says, put this on my tab, pretty much. Buys her the pearl necklace. He claims he's a shopaholic around women and charms her into a date. I think I've overloaded her circuits. Pretty nice watches. Yeah, likewise the pearls. They're God's tears, they are, you know. Yeah. But you don't cry much, though, do you? I mean, you got the look of a woman and uh, doesn't cry much. Not today. You're English. Norwegian, actually, but I had the operation, you know. Oh. Phil Mayhew. Sarah McPhail. Oh, yeah, I will throw this lot in as well. And don't bother to wrap them, we'll uh, eat them here. Can I trust you with a big secret? Sarah, you were looking at a man with a very nasty habit. Phil, this is the 80s. Everyone takes drugs. No, 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 darling, no, no. It's far worse than drugs, I'm afraid. Oh? Well, I buy things for women, you know. I mean, I just can't stop. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> well, I cut back a little, you know. Now it's just beautiful women <laughs> that I buy things for. We move along to River's boat here. Crockett and Tubbs and Zito and Switek, they observe River's boat where Sarah and Phil are dining and observe Tim Stewart, a pilot Crockett busted four years earlier with them. So now moving along to Phil's new house here, Izzy, called in by Zito and Switek, what could go wrong, right? Um, he comes in, poses as an interior decorator, and just kind of like barges in, I guess, telling Phil how he could, um, you know, decorate the place and how he's very u- unique in his decoration and all that. So he pretty much becomes Phil's right-hand man, uh, arranging introductions uh, if needed. Phil asks Izzy if he tanks him for a wanker, and then Izzy retorts, yeah, a wanker who's got no furniture, man. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was too <laughs> funny. Izzy runs into Crockett and Tubbs on the way out of Phil's place, and it says he's on assignment. Assignment from who? From Zito and Twitek. And then Crockett and Tubbs just look at each other. It's like, oh, go figures, huh? Mm-hmm. Isidro Marino, designer of the interior. Sorry, I only got the one. I, uh, I love this house, man. Limitless potency. Ah, Toriadors on black well. Very Hemingway-esque. Women love Hemingway. I can also risk of this empty space up here into a rich, dynamic, fully functional Albondigas! Albondigas! Which qualifies you to work with one of the great minds of the Southern Florida refugee experience and uh, score some cheap furniture at the same time? You must take me for a right wanker, son. Well, a right wanker who's got no furniture, man. So now we're in the Bugbuster van and Crockett and Tubbs confront Zeno and Switek about this. And Switek admits that he called Izzy in because Phil took my money. Zito chimes in and says, yeah, it's not a smart move, but at least Izzy is in. Let's leave him there. Basically, Crockett said they have no choice on this. At OCB, 
Gina runs Phil through the computer and finds he has a long history of con jobs in England and has moved to the United States, basically staying one step ahead of everybody that he's built in his life. Izzy goes back to Phil's place. He completes the interior decorating, including a row of hubcaps on a wall, a fish over the archway, and mismatched furniture, much to Phil's approval. Uh, During Lynn, This was the tackiest, tackiest decorating I've seen. In a beach house. It reminds me of Miami. I We are in Florida. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's So during lunch, Phil and Sarah arrange a party with Sarah's people, you know, because basically she wants to start dealing small. She's supposed to do small time dealing of Coke, you know, just ounces and stuff like that. Uh, and he basically he gives her his life story, too. Then it moves on. Where Crockett and Tubbs, where they're tailing Rivers, but they lose his car while tailing it. Then Rivers' bodyguard lets Rivers know he found a bug while detailing the car and destroys it, preventing further observance by Crockett and Tubbs. The bodyguard says the only other person in this car was Stewart. And then Rivers then kills Stewart, thinking he put the bug on the car. And we've moved further along here to OCB. Uh, Crockett. Uh, finds mainly lightweight buyers on Phil's party list, uh, so they're going to be attended. Uh, they'll be attending. I'm sorry, as Burnett and Cooper Castillo got a new wiretap warrant for Rivers thanks to the pilot's death. So Gina and Trudy pose as caterers to set up the bugs on Rivers' boat. We move along here to Phil's party. The party starts. Uh, Izzy's out front, kind of acting. I don't know, maybe has a bouncer or something like that. He's acting. the concierge. He's something. Yeah, exactly. Izzy just being Izzy. I I think, I don't know if uh, Noogie was gone at this point from the series, but I think they both could have been in here and it could have been really funny, but that is what it is. Uh, So the party starts and Sarah, you know, everyone's mingling. Sarah arranges for some drug buys with Crockett and Tubbs. Other quote unquote customers are in the room snorting some booger sugar. And then Phil sees an opportunity. He's like, "Oh, oh, excuse me, you know, go back to your stuff. And he sees like, no, I can make some dough here. So Phil acts like a dealer and arranges for a lower price than they were going to buy this Coke from and in larger volume than Sarah was going to offer more and cheaper. Hey, who wouldn't pass it up, right? Right. Um, so these pretty much, these people agreed to it. Oh, excuse me. Uh, you seen Sarah McPhail? You know, short blonde We'll see. That's Sarah's boyfriend. He's your host. It's okay. Come on in. I haven't seen her lately, Phil. Sorry. Okay, well, you carry. You carry. Okay, so we locked in a 35 for the key. That's uh, 87.50 person. That's a lot of money. Not a blow. Well, big boys and girls, we can handle it, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> keys? Kilos? Keys? You buying kilos of this stuff for $35,000? Sure, that's practically a bargain. A bargain? Why didn't you talk to your Uncle Phil first, huh? I mean, my people cleared the very first airstrip on the Guajira Peninsula, you know. I mean, where do you think your boy gets his stuff from, eh? Hey, from me? Well, I don't know. We're only getting one. Yeah, well, I got three I can give you for 25 per, huh? A lot of blow. Great. Keep you lot bouncing for weeks, it will. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Uh, we move along to River's boat here. Uh, on River's boat... Uh, Rivers is pretty much incensed over Sarah moving such a large weight as he prefers selling small, respectable amounts to respect. Not people. keys. 
which I guess makes sense. You know, he wants to control what he's selling to who he's selling. Not wholesale. This ain't no warehouse club, right? Mm-hmm. And he also noted, you know, Phil's moving, or he's thinking Phil's moving in on his turf. So Phil is brought in for an offer he can't refuse. Make the deal for the lower price and act as a middleman in exchange for staying alive. Yes. And also another beat down by Rivers' men. All the while, the vice crew is listening nearby. So now we end up, it switch, scene switches back to Phil's place, and Izzy and a girl are dancing to no music. And if you remember, that's Izzy's in with her was Emingway, huh? Phil comes in, tries to pack up, and tries to run, but Crock and Tubbs find him first and let him know he will go to jail for what he has done. But Phil said he will hold up his end and give up Sarah and Rivers in exchange for immunity. Going somewhere, Philly? You scared me, boys. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, the party's over, right? No lie. Took the words right out of our mouth. Oh, Possession, a felony. Maintaining a premises for the use of, also a felony. Conspiracy to obtain for sale. A felony. Yeah, yeah. False passports and an assortment of fraudulent schemes, right? Mm-hmm. Regular litany of evil, ain't I? Just for trying to pass a mildly dishonest buck. <laughs> Phil, you have won a scholarship, a full scholarship to Rayford. That's a prison we got here, pal. Full ride, probably. It'll never happen. No? No, because you are going to offer me immunity if I help you put Sarah and Rivers in the back. Maybe even burn Tyrell in her mob and all. You've been reading ahead. I'd like to do my little bit for law and order. The deal is going down for whatever reason, and we did ask Paul about this at an amusement park. So Phil gets the place in time for the buy. The buyers show up at Phil's house to pay for, the, pay for their drugs, Phil said he will take their money and get their merchandise. He says, I'll be back in 30 minutes. And they were first, at first, no way. Crockett, Burnett, and Cooper were saying the same thing. Uh-uh. And I think these people ended up staying there. It was Sarah's friend, Jane, and the doctors. They ended up staying because they had no choice. Here's the keys to my car. Here's the keys to the place. You know, kind of like his collateral. But Burnett and Cooper basically said, we don't like other people, you know, we don't want to be around people we don't know type of thing. So that's how they end up getting to leave too. They go where their money goes. So they go along with Phil, leaving the buyers in the wind. They all meet at an amusement park where Rivers wonders who the new guys are. Crock and Tub say they'll be in business a long time together. Sarah gives Rivers the briefcase. Tubbs hand it to her and opens it to a flashbang. A shootout ensues. The rides mysteriously start, and it's almost amusement in the chasing going on. Rivers is killed. His men are shot and arrested, while Phil and Sarah just beat feet. They got away with all the money from the buyers. And as you know, Crockett said, who's going to come forward? Because if they do, they're going to admit to that. Crockett says, after 18 months, Rivers being dead, he said, I'll take it. And basically, Switek still wanted to run and Castillo. Case is closed. Case is closed. Yep. The ending here, we're, I think we're at Switek's place. It, it, we are. Really, we are. Okay. I thought it was yeah, I think, uh, yes. Zito's. Because <laughs> either it was Zito's, his or Zito's place. And as you'll finish what he does, 
<laughs> yeah. I would think I'd it's be, more his place. Yeah, I would think it's Switek's because I'd be pissed. But anyway, Switek is incensed that Phil got off clean, pretty much, scot-free. And Cleo Castillo closed the case. So anyway, they're in their uh, in the apartment here. They're watching TV. And they see Phil, Faith Healer, on a TV show. I'm assuming uh, maybe local or maybe California. Who knows? Right. And he was, I'm a healer and Sarah was the plant. Right. Sarah was the the one being healed. Devil, come out. Uh, come out. Uh. So they see this. They see Sarah turn around like, oh, okay, you took the money and now you're you're being a shyster again. You're, you're swindling more people. Mm-hmm. You're acting, you know, like uh, pastors off of I-80. So Switek is so angry, he pulls out his gun, and after saying, this one's for you, Elvis, ba-boom, shoots out the TV. Great, great ending. So I would have to assume, yes, it is Switek's place because I think Zito would be uh, uh, pissed off shooting his TV out. <laughs> you ever seen this? <laughs> Ooh, wrestling's on. You like wrestling? You know, Lair, it's a degenerate world out there. Nobody seems to care about anybody anymore. There used to be a time where your word was your word. Promise somebody something, you came through. Touch my hand. Not anymore. Heal. Look at this. Heal. Amen. You know God is in this place. I want you to come up here and pick up your miracle. My child, you have a deaf ear. You have a deaf ear. I will help it. I will help it through God. I will help it. Devil. Devil. Devil, get out. Devil, get out. Can you believe it? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for returning the power of speech to this precious, precious time. I can hear. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This one's for you, Elvis. Stan, what are you doing? Okay, that was the episode discussion. Um, Now we're going to lead you into our interview we had actually a couple months ago with Paul Diamond. He was so gracious enough. You know, to answer a lot of our questions, I'm yes, sure he did. us being newbies and amateurs, you know, maybe some of them were basic to him, you know, being in the business and all that. But either way, he took out, he took immense amount of time with us. We're certainly appreciative of that. I'm definitely starstruck by it, you know, more or less, uh, you know, someone actually, he reached out to us, which was totally awesome. This was yes, earlier yep. in the year, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, just just to for uh, just to forewarn you, I guess um, his voice was kind of bad when when we recorded this. He uh, he was sick or something like that. So I did the best I could to edit the volume on his end. So please bear with him with his voice. We'll come back afterwards and do the ratings for the episode. So enjoy this episode's interview we had with Paul Diamond, the writer of this episode. We have Paul Diamond here. A little special guest, writer of Evan and Phil the Shill from Amy Vice. So if you wouldn't mind, just a quick, who is Paul Diamond? If you wouldn't mind doing that, who, you know, how'd you get started writing and all this? And as far as I looked up, your dad was a writer, correct? Yes, he was, as was my mother. As was your mom. Wow. I did not know that. So it was the family business. Everybody went into it. 
So if you give a quick condensed version of, you know, what what your accolades are. Well, I have no accolades. I'm a journeyman. Um, <laughs> I, I worked 40 years without, you know, any notable achievements, which is fine. That was the way I liked it. Specific, intri- specific point. Um, there was this new cop show on NBC. I had just come off a uh, show and needed work. And my mother met one of the Miami one of the Miami Vice wives from the writers group. They needed a young writer. I got the job. That was simple. That was Evan. Oh. <laughs> Couldn't be more easier than that, I guess, huh? In those days, yes. There weren't 45 people, you know, having to take the search, you know, your, your, your phone records. It was just a show where you had to get shows done and mm-hmm. was do the shows. I know this guy. That was it. Yeah, it's nice to know somebody, I guess, huh? Especially, especially if it's your mom, right? I, I, I like to think she did a good job on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you how did you break into the business? I, I mean, I mean, you, you said it's. Did you not hear us say my father was a writer? It's. Um, I was basically allowed one book after I graduated from college, and I okay. sold the book within four days of finishing it. Sort of an encouragement there, and okay. when that. Was sort of fading away. I sold another one, and that gets us to like 1977-78, 75-76. At which point we sell Chicken Chronicles, which was a rather bad Steve Gutenberg sex comedy, mm-hmm. which I'm very fond of. <laughs> and uh, after that, it just sort of built. I was there. I was a quote young writer who you know all the old guy old network guys get us young writers. So yeah, I was 32. What can I say? Are you currently currently working on anything right now? Yes, getting rid of the sore throat. <laughs> Other than um, sore I like you never stop writing. No, writers don't stop writing. And yes, of course I am. The problem becomes is that all the conventions of film comedy and even teen comedy have changed in the last 10, 12, 15 years, which is about as long since I retired. So you have to watch the political correctness of it, the oh. inclusiveness of it. Okay. Um, it. It's a chore that I'm really not equipped to do. I would have to guess that's more difficult because even though, let's take um, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Is there any way in heck anybody could do that today? Yes. No, Brooks. Um, <laughs> there you go. Tarantino, if you were funny, he's not. Um, right. A very a precious few. and uh, So it's, it's harder for, for writers to come up with stuff that's not going to offend somebody, but yet still grab the attention. I would have to assume, right? Grabbing attention isn't difficult. Carrying through a script is difficult. It's not done very much nor very well in Hollywood these days. The other thing is, is the television has changed 100% with, you know, know, the the writer's rooms. We never had anything quite like that at all when we were kids. But um, I will bring up one other thing, which is there's a great deal of ageism. People uh-huh. do not want to be in, in a room working with their grandfather. Uh, but you know what? If I, I would have to say if someone knows what they're doing and someone's good, who cares? Um, the people you're, you're you have to explain you're hired to the person above you. And he if he doesn't get it, she doesn't get it. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Why are you wasting our money on this person we don't know? That makes that makes sense. Unfortunately a lot of it does, yeah. The discriminatory stuff. Well, I would also have to say I'm not a fan of this stuff, but a lot of reality TV 
alleged reality TV. You know, it, there's what's the point? That's what I think. The point is, other people like to people like to watch other people screw up because it's not them. Um, uh, yeah, I guess so. It makes them feel yeah, better yeah, about themselves. Yeah, and then I can't watch any of the dramas because they're just the um, soap operas with very good camera work. I never really uh, got into soap operas as a kid, or even mm-hmm. as an adult. I never really got into soap operas as a kid or an adult. I, I watched when I was in college, but that was mostly because of the drugs. Paul, Phil the Shill, how were you chosen as the writer for that episode? Out of all the ones that were in the series to well, be tapped for that assignment. After Evan, they used me on at least two other shows. Um, I wrote an entire script for what became Florence, Italy, which mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure was back then. And I know I worked on Made for Each Other for a while, but there's nothing of my work in that script. So I'd been around. They were familiar with me. I came and I finished stuff in time. It wasn't too terrible to, to have to be rewritten. And they actually had gotten a note from Michael Mann saying, put Phil Collins in the show. And uh, because I was sort of their, one of their two comedy writers at that point, they brought me and said, think of something for Phil Collins. And I did. And you said, um, you know, a comedy writer. I mean, did you, can, did you have in your mind, okay, this could be a lighter episode, like, I, like the question I asked, or did you have the freedom to make it one of the darker episodes or did they kind of direct you what they wanted and then you wrote off of that i walked into the room i said he's an english english con man and he plays the same thing right through the entire story and nobody cared they liked it they, they, you know, there's nothing wrong with it okay and it just went through it was early days mm-hmm. you know, that's how things happened if you wanted to do it Nobody had an objection. You just did it. Did they, in writing in general as well, do they say, okay, we want it to be dark. We want it to be funny. And then you go, okay. So then you just run with it from there. Make it what you want to make it. Nice. Nice. In the ending at the carnival where all the the rides are. (laughs) Yes. I did read that scene today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Was that kind of based on because he was kind of odd in the game show? The game show was kind of off the wall type of thing was that, or, or was it they just had this empty lot and they wanted to throw up a bunch of carnival rides I think or there actually was a carnival there <laughs> and uh i don't know if they cared or not i wanted a carnival because i've been riding for years mm-hmm. somebody you know the little pipe stem ducks the rotating ducks i wanted to blow up you know, instead of the little plastic pops of clay mm-hmm. i wanted this you know explosive ammunition there I wanted, like armor piercing and didn't get the effect there. I put in scripts for 20 more years, too. But um, no, I don't know how the, how the carnival ride started. I'm assuming a ricochet that it is ah, with a short. That makes sense. And we'll go with it, that. <laughs> it makes the only thing that makes sense. Um, it was not done deliberately to provide a filter, I mean, a cover for Phil to get away. Or, you know, I don't know where what's her face goes. But the, the, the rotating, the rotating ducks were always a target of mine. Like the question I asked before, you have Phil being this, you know, game show host, and then you've got the other, like, subscript, I guess, your other plot line with the drug dealer. And then right. I asked as well, couldn't Izzy have been the middleman for the middleman? Is it easy for you to kind of 
blend like those two little storylines? Is it something like, oh, geez, what they give me here type of thing? You, know, you didn't. You didn't want to extend um, Izzy any farther than he was right there. Nor did you want to bring in Noogie. It's already right. a complex, you know, farce of slamming doors at the end, adding uh, you know, levels of responsibility. And it's too much of the audience to follow on comedy like that. And Paul, one of the questions that I had asked you was about there when I had just started doing research, did a Google search of Phil the Shill, it brought up a website, deadshirt.net. And from what I looked at, those guys aren't even writing on there anymore. But they did do a review of Phil. And one of the things that they lamented on was uh, that the character of Phil Mayhew should have returned in future episodes. And I asked you, why do you think that never happened? And then you had responded that Dick Wolf was bought in the, to police something like that. Can you just go a little, expound a little bit more on that? I, it's hard for me to do because I really didn't work for Dick. At the end of the second season, I guess, um, I was working on another comedy with one of the staff writers. And we were slow to finish because of various things going on around us, which we did, you know, Dick took one look at what we'd done and shut us down. Um, he wanted to have those personal turns, those crises. We just wanted to have fun, to the extent actually what we were working on was a Cindy Lauper show. Oh, wow. Cindy Lauper and, uh, oh, Pee Wee Herman. Oh, okay. I think I know it. Was that yeah, NBC as well? there are people online who don't like me saying this existed. It existed. Hey, you got to be proud of what you're right, even if it's garbage. I would have to guess. I don't know. Um, I, I don't base myself quite that much, but yeah, yeah, money's good. Money helps. Did you pitch any more any more stories for them? And I pitched a bunch, and, and the last one I can think of is um, something that actually got made. It's in a different, very different format. Um, I wanted to put a Hollywood star as a ride along. With Crockett and Tubbs. Ah, that would have been interesting. Might have been interesting. Didn't get made. Didn't get done. Go ahead, Tim. Sorry. We also, I also asked you about when you, if you had to do a sit down meeting with Michael Mann about changing Phil from just being like a cameo into like a, you know, a full, full uh, episode uh, character. And you said you didn't meet Michael Mann until 1998. What was the occasion that brought you to meet him? Um, end of a WGA strike. And he was standing waiting for his car. Went up to him and said, Michael, I worked for you on Miami Vice. He said, what episodes? And I said, Phil uh, uh, <laughs> the Shiv and Evan. And he said, good ones. And that was it. Very cool. Like a nice guy. Speaking of Evan and Phil the Shill, the big airport type hangar thing in Evan where he shot, it wasn't it is yes it, oh, it is. Uh, where he shot those mannequins did you request that to put it the next you know, the guys let's see um the guys that were hanging I in phil's show Evan, phil yeah that was i wanted to do that and i think it's a descendant of the flying duck uh, the rotating ducks i wanted i wanted to get uh, both in in evan and phil i wanted to get bananas that's one of bananas. And I guess we did. We have, let's see, the first one we had the, the mannequins. And on right. this one we had bananas. Okay. And all I that's confusing it. because it's all out of order. 
Well, I, I, I get what you're talking about there. You know, to, to go and bug the car, trying to get the license, trying to get the uh, permission to bug it. Right. They've already asked for the, position, for the permission to bug it. All that's already happened. Scene three followed by scene one followed by scene two. Okay, gotcha. So, so how often does that happen where your your flow, what you write, doesn't jive with what comes out, what we see? That happens a bunch. I mean, if you, you yeah. try and fix it, but they usually have a you know very specific and narrow reason they want things the way they are. For instance, I think they want a gunfire higher up in the episode in film. Did you get to pick um, like the locations, the specific locations, or was no, it just I, like I, carnival scene or hangar, whatever? No, and hang they- on one second. Right. First location is interior banana warehouse night. So that's the, uh, what should we call it? That's the, the hangar. The hangar, right. Bayside restaurant night, and uh, that's uh, the, the silver silver's car mm-hmm. with the bodyguard, and then there's the fight, etc. Something you will want to ask about. I do did specify the cars. So, and so they could pick exactly the location they want, but you're just saying exterior. Yeah, rec- recommendation, whatever works yeah. for you guys. If you need something like Mount Rushmore, well, it helps to be Hitchcock. But right. Um, right, exactly. There isn't anything that distinctive that cannot be replicated in 1984, 85 Miami. And you said you've never made it to, uh, in previous conversations that we had, you didn't make it to Miami or Florida till like the late 90s, right? You've no, never been. I was working on another show. Okay, wow. So you never got to meet even anywhere else, um, Don Johnson or Philip Michael Thomas or anything like that? I, I met Don in Florida in 97, whenever it was, fine, 95. I guess I was working on a show with Melanie, and uh, they were reconciling that week. He didn't nice take you out for dinner or anything like that? No, actually, we spent two hours talking about Nash Bridges. Oh. Which I was trying desperately to get on, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. And didn't quite happen, shifts in circumstances, death of a writer. But actually, sitting in a... U-Haul, not in a U-Haul, in a trailer with Don, you know, pitching scenes for Nash Bridges was a lot of fun. Oh, I could imagine. I could imagine. Yeah, good and nice guy. So, you know, got his problems, not my problem. So. You didn't get to meet uh, uh, Edward James almost? Or Don was pretty much the only no, I'm one? I'm trying to think who I ever did meet. Um, I worked with Sandra once. Okay. But I didn't. I don't think I was on. They were in Canada. I wasn't. And uh, not Michael, not uh, none of them. No. Interesting. Couple well, of, I guess it's a. Directors. There's got a couple of directors I know. And like Tim asked, are you are you working any besides your voice? Are you working on any other projects, books, or oh, anything I've like got, that? You know, I've got a book I want to write. I've got a 1930s set comedy that I want to write. And uh, after I get checked out by whoever the throat police are, I will <laughs> see, see if I can't get back to work on them. Okay. I, I got to prompt you again. Um, I did choose specific cars for this episode. I thought you guys expressed some interest in that. Yes, I did ask you that. If you, you know, like when you write the script or the screenplay, did you include in your imagery what the character film Mayhew wore or drove? You know, how much did your writing have an influence on that? 
I did a little bit of the fashion stuff, which I normally would never do, um, mostly in comparison to uh, Swiatek or Crockett when he was around. Um, I would never have written, I usually don't do things like the cars. I did it on this one. Um, Phil did not drive a Lambo. He drove an Aston Martin Vantage. And then later, he seems to be driving a Lotus for some reason. I don't know why. But you'll notice that he drove British cars only. That makes sense. And here's they didn't listen to me. Here's a follow-up question. When since you weren't in Miami till like whatever you said, 95-ish. Not till 95, I was back there in 95. Okay. Where where were you doing your writing from at that time? From Los Angeles or in the California? Until we went into production, I was writing in Los Angeles. Once we went into production, I was on the set in Miami for six weeks, whatever it was. Because I was going to ask. A lot of the people on the crew were vice people. So I got sort of a history lesson while I was going. Okay. Because to if you've never been somewhere, how do you gain that imagery to write like, you know, a la Miami versus California or somewhere else in the country uh, when you haven't been there? Did they, But you had just said that you got a little bit of a mentoring on that. Um, you write the same scene, but you put plantains in it. That makes sense. I'm laugh on that one. I'm sorry. It was a joke. <laughs> Plantains um, instead of bananas. I get it. I plantains get it. are very good, by the way. Yes, I gather that. I've never had one. Um, there are always little hints and clues. It's generally not, you know, where you're writing. It's the, the milieu of the people you're writing about. So, you know, I mean, I could have found cocaine-driven dentists in Los Angeles very easily. Um, any of the stuff that's going on, and Phil particularly, I could have replicated in Phoenix. Just wouldn't have had the colors and the water. So this, right, could, have, this could have been a chips. Oh, that, let's go. I wanted to go back to sure. the the question I asked that because the the featured song was "Life Is a Rat Race," which was written by Phil exclusively for this episode. And you would answer that you originally called the game show "Stairway to Heaven." Uh, just to the best of your recollection, you said that the staff conceived of rat race was it was this done beef was this the inspiration for him writing that song or did no, the song come well yeah it might very well have been it didn't it wasn't much work he this is a b-side of a genesis single from like a single from a year or two earlier not a okay. man you know man with the something or other and actually i didn't know nothing about it until i saw the episode and i loved it i thought Rat Race is the best thing ever. So why did you pick the name Stairway to Heaven for that game it's show? Not, it was going to be a rock and roll quiz show. Why not? And also it had a stairway. Stairway at the top of it, the buzzer, et cetera, et cetera. Very cool. Pretty pretty on the nose. And Tim and I were just saying that last episode that um, we're kind of missing the um, Zito and Switek comedy hour. You know, the past few episodes really haven't been centered on them. And this one kind of brings it back in, brings them back into center with their, uh, with their corniness and cheesiness. All we were missing was the, uh, the bug zapper truck, the van. I looked at it today, actually. I called it the Bugmobile. I don't know if that was a, a, a actual staff thing or not, but it may be the Bugmobile. Do you, do you get to, again, writing in general, but in this, do you, do, did you get to kind of like pick and choose 
who else you wanted to bring to the forefront? Like, you know, obviously this one was uh, Switek, you know, his little story of going on the game, calling in sick and then going on the game show. Did you get uh, free range to do that saying, I want Gina to be here or whatever? A little bit. The, the important thing was, was uh, just having Larry. <laughs> Not Larry, the other one. Huh? Fool myself with my name. Stan. Thank you, Stan. I thought he was, you know, the funny one, and I thought I'd give it to him. He already had the Elvis cue. So, you know, that right. cover itself. Any other questions? Yeah, I just, just a comment, just a general comment about the episode itself. I loved how you wrote Phil just walking from walking in from one scam to the next, like seamlessly. He walks in, oh, no, I could get you, I could get you a Coke for this amount of money. I mean, and it was just like he was a natural at ad-libbing his scams that he had to just by walking into a room. I really love that. Yeah, that, that, that's really based on the original character, the English character. That's the Flash Harry from a film, English film called The Bells of St. Trinians, early 50s. Actor named George Cole, well worth finding and watching. And then, then him um, going into being a preacher, a televangelist. Uh, that was that's a Michael Mann note. Oh, really? That's a Michael Mann note. That's um, don't know when that came in. That was at the uh, that was at the very end, correct? No, I don't know when Michael messaged us on it. Oh, okay. Um, because it was do Phil as a uh, game show host, and then at some point, yeah, you know, on the way out, do him as a as a preacher. And I thought that I think there was much more preacher stuff actually in the last couple of pages. And in fact. Well, you know that I have to see the shooting script, which I don't have. But um, yeah, that's a Michael Mann note. And as I said in my note to you yesterday, the only two notes that we got were "Don't do Lady from Shanghai" with the uh, mirrored room that he really, really liked. Uh, Stan blowing up the uh, TV set. <laughs> You'll notice I like to blow up props. You know, not much. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you always got to have an explosion to. You have to have an explosion. Part of the deal. Very cool. Well, absolutely an honor to be asked the question from a very, very old show. Um, I'm terribly sorry that my voice is like this. No problem. Cannot Don't be helped. People get old. No problem. You're no fine, problem. Paul. You're fine. Thank you, guys. Again, thank you very much, Paul. Again, everyone, that was Paul Diamond, the writer of Evan and Phil the Shill. All right, Tim, what do you think? Well, it was a pretty good interview. Yes, it was very informative. I mean, as you said in, in the lead in that is he was very gracious and he got us going because I know we were digressing a lot of stuff and then he brought us back into let's get as much as we can answered here. He's he's used to used to uh being probably part of interviews or just Right. He kind of let you know, us Hollywood that, speak. Yes. Right. So he, he, he directed us where we needed to be. So very, very grateful that uh, he took the time to be with us and reaching out to us in the first place. Absolutely. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Paul. We certainly appreciate it. You're totally awesome. All right, let's check out the ratings for this episode. IMDb gives us a 7.8. Tim, I thought it was a great episode indeed. It was a rather lighter episode, I guess you could say, in the drug business. You know, it's always good to snicker a little bit. And this was definitely I mean, more on the comedic side of it. Um, Zito and Switek are up to usual uh, buffoonery. Uh, and then they bring in Izzy to do what essentially Castillo kind of wanted them to do. 
Um, nice blend of the lighter story of Phil transitioning into what could have been a big Coke deal and maybe more if he didn't hit that snag with Rivera instead of being a scam preacher at the end. You know, good good stories. They weren't too complicated. They blended well together. I, and again, I was starstruck in talking with the lead writer of this episode, um, Paul. It was absolutely an honor and a highlight for me on this side of the mic. Mark, I give this episode a definite big thumbs up. It had two plot lines that blended in one. First, we had the Switek and Zito hijinks where they recruited Izzy into the, into their swirling bowl. Phil Collins played a great con man who could immediately insert himself into any conversation and sell other swampland in Arizona without hesitation. And as always, Marty Castillo did not disappoint, gave us his usual glaring stare through Switek's soul as he dropped the hammer on him. And last but not least, it was an honor and a privilege to spend time in conversation with writer Paul Diamond. Thanks a million, Paul. We have arrived at Snurd's Chalkboard of Wisdom, where we hope to inspire, enlighten, or make you snicker a little. In both the world of Miami Vice and our current world at large, we encounter many challenges we work with to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere through the show and on our social media, we would like to offer some parting thoughts. A simple quote, phrase, or words of encouragement, or a funny quip to you, our listeners. Because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media. This episode's quote is from Paul Diamond. When he said, I think they kept me around on Vice because I was the only comedy writer they'd found who knew what a Mac-10 was. We encourage everyone listening to be a positive force, not only in your life, but others as well. It's contagious and can make our world a better place. And with that, we'd like to bring this episode of Vice of Miami podcast to a close. If you like our show, and we really hope that you do, please help spread the word. Tell your garbage men, tell your gardener, tell the farmer on the combine out there to listen to us. It would be greatly appreciated. We can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami podcast and Twitter at Podcast Vice. Tell a friend, post this and other episodes on your social media and tag us at Voice of Miami Podcast so we can see it. And if you can, please rate and review the show on Spotify, Apple, or your podcast platform of choice. This really helps us out and only takes a few moments and it would mean the world to us. We'd like to thank everyone who commented, liked, and shared us on Instagram and Facebook. So until next time, we will see you on a very special episode of the Vice of Miami Podcast on show number 37, covering season two, episode 12, definitely Miami. Hey, Tim, this yes. is going to be our Halloween episode. So yes, it's going to be a little bit special. A little, little bit, bit different. different. So now beat it, punks. 